Praise God. Thanks, uh, thanks Ashley. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, everyone for being here, for being the church, bringing it into this room today. As um, Ashley was talking about, you know, all, all of this was able to, to happen because of um, uh, a wrist injury. And I remember when she first got hurt, um, we were, I think we were having some kind of a, a, a decorating ministry um, event in the conference room. And so Eugene and I were there and she asked us to, to pray uh, that her wrist would get better. And, and, and we did. And um, sometimes when, you know, when we, we pray for people and they're, and they're ill, we, we ask for God's healing, um, then the Lord seems to answer. Uh, but for that one, we uh, keep on asking, how's your wrist, how's your wrist? And, oh, it's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. And I was like, oh man, maybe we're losing our spiritual power, <laughs> what's going on here? Uh, but then I, I read something yesterday, uh, I forget who said it, but he said, Maybe the circumstances that you are asking God to change are the very circumstances that God is using to change you. And through that, she was able to fully devote herself to seeking God. Sometimes the things that we want God to so desperately change in our lives are the very things that he's using to change us to become more like him. Amen? A couple weeks ago, it was a uh, Monday... And it was my day to pick up my kids from school, my nine-year-old Manny and my six-year-old Elijah. It was Monday. That's my day off, and so I'm not doing anything. I'm just kind of hanging out. I need to pick them up by 3 o'clock. So I was at home, and I need to leave by 2.45 in order to get them. So it's 2 o'clock. Got about 45 minutes. So I decide I'm going to take a quick nap because I'm feeling a little in need of a nap. So I put my head down and I was resting, set my alarm for 2.42. 2.42, and sure enough, at 2.42, the alarm goes off, I wake up, I look at my clock, I was like, 2.42, what day is it? It's like, ah, oh, it's Monday, I got to go pick up the kids, I got to leave in three minutes. So I put my phone down, I looked up at the ceiling, the next thing I know, I know, I wake up, I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I look at my clock, it's 3.10 p.m., like, oh my gosh. I was like, Manny, Elijah, I got to go, I got to go. And so I get everything ready as quickly as I can, and I bust out the door, and as I'm driving, I call Olivia. I said, Olive, are you anywhere near the kids' school? She's like, no, nah, I'm at Trader Joe's right now. So I was like, oh, no, they're, I'm so late. I'm, they're going to be waiting. And, and so I get there. I park in the parking lot, and I run to where they're supposed to be, the bike rack. It's like 320 at this point, and there's nobody there. I was like, oh, my goodness, where did they go? So I went into the office, and there's, you know, the administrators are there, the secretary, and there's some parents there, but no sign of Manny or Elijah. And I've got this, like, frantic look on my face. I'm panicking. And the secretary says, can I help you, sir? And I said, I'm late to pick up my kids, and I don't know where they are. As soon as my voice starts speaking, the two little heads of my children pop out, and they're like, Daddy, Daddy. And so uh, he says, are these, she says, are these your kids? i got to sign them out, and they come. And I'm like, oh, Daddy, so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Daddy was bad. I made a mistake. Were you scared? And they're like holding hands, and, and Elijah, he's just stoic. He don't care. He's like, yeah, I was all right. But Manny's like, yeah, I was scared. I'm, I was so scared, Daddy. And then as we're, we're walking to the car, passing by all these kids who are in the car line waiting to get picked up by their parents in their car. So Manny's got all these friends, and she's saying bye to them. Bye, Manny, bye. She's giving them hugs. And we get to the car, and uh, I think everything's cool. But as soon as we get in the car, close the door, 
Manny just starts bawling. Manny's our daughter. She's a nine-year-old girl. She starts crying, crying, like, Daddy, Daddy. And she opens up her backpack, and she takes out her stuffed animal dog, and she's, like, kissing. And she's, like, Daddy, Daddy, why were you late? And, and then Elijah, her six-year-old brother, comes to her defense, and he's, like, Daddy, yeah, why were you late? And so I feel like, man, I just committed this, this crime, and the state prosecutor is, like, grilling me. And so I had to make up my alibi. I said, Elijah, Daddy was saving a bank from being robbed, and so I was late because I was protecting people. He's like, no, you weren't. I said, there was a car that was broken on the side of the road, and Daddy was helping. He's like, no, you didn't. He said, Daddy was telling somebody about Jesus. He's like, no, you Daddy, why do you look like that? I was like, all right, I was sleeping. I fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep. And he's like, oh, you fell asleep. And he was so upset at me. He was so upset. And I was upset because for the next couple nights, Manny was having nightmares. So she came in the middle of the night and she would sleep uh, in, next to me in bed. And she'd be having these, like, dreams. And I don't know what exactly they are, but she's like, no, get away, get away. And then I would say, Manny, Daddy's here. And she's, like, pushing me away. She's like, no, Daddy, no, Daddy. It was so sad. It was so heartbreaking. I said, Manny, are you okay? And she's like, uh, when she woke up, she's like, oh, everything's fine. She, she had no recollection of it. But as I was recalling that incident the other day, as I reflect upon this, the last Sunday of 2018, I felt like that was a metaphor in a sense of how I lived for part of 2018. Kind of sleepwalking through life, missing out on important things, hurting people who are close to me, not because I was doing some heroic things, not because I was doing something awesome, but because I was sleeping when I should have been doing something else. I don't know if as you come to the end of 2018, you feel like that at all this morning. That, yeah, you know what, come to think of it, you're right. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of collateral damage, there's a lot of carnage. There's a lot of tears because of the way that I live. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe you don't know it. By the grace of God, I was allowed to see how my sleeping, snoozing ways caused pain to the people that I loved. But maybe you haven't seen that. And you come to the end of 2018. The question I want to ask is, how did you live this year? How did you live this year? And for me, as I get to the end of this year, I feel like God is sounding an alarm clock in my head saying, let's wake up so that the way that you live parts of 2018 are not the way you continue to live in this year to come. I don't know if any of you are in need of a wake-up call this morning. If any of you have gone through life sleepwalking 2018, you look at where you are right now and you look at the person you wanted to be when the year began and you realize that you're at two completely different places. If you're anything like me, you and I both need to hear what God has to say in Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read from this passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, and allow you to hear what I feel like God is saying to me this morning as we end one year and as we begin to enter into another one. Ephesians was written to a church in Ephesus, which was in Asia Minor. This was meant to be a circular letter distributed first, given first to Ephesus and then distributed amongst the churches in Asia Minor in order that they would hear this same message that the Apostle Paul was writing to them. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. This is the word of God for the people of God. It says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then 
how you live not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what's happening here. The Apostle Paul is writing in the midst of the Roman Empire where he is in Rome in prison, chained to Roman guards as the persecution amongst believers, which was localized, is going to begin to run rampant throughout the empire. He's writing to Ephesus, which was the economic and social center of the Roman Empire. At that time, uh, Ephesus was uh, the, the, uh, the goddess Artemis was the was basically the, the leader, the goddess of that city. And Artemis was the goddess, I believe, of fertility. And so sexual perversion was rampant within Ephesus. The times were dark. There were some who said that the morality of Ephesus was lower than that of animals. It was a, it was a city that was just gone crazy in terms of their immorality, their degradation, the way in which they lived. It was not a hotbed of Christianity. And so as Paul is writing from, the Ro- uh, from, the, from a prison in Rome to citizens of the Roman Empire in Ephesus, he's warning them because soon after this letter would be written, the emperor Nero would set fire to the city of Rome and then he would blame it on Christians. And the famous saying that Nero fiddled while Rome burned was the historical reality. He had no fear, no worry. He was scapegoating the Christians in order that this growing sect of people, well, he thought he could stamp them out by causing persecution to come to them. In fact, it was through that Emperor Nero that the order would be given for Paul to be beheaded and therefore executed. Paul is saying, hey, listen up. Church in Ephesus and throughout the Roman Empire, understand this. The rain clouds of persecution are rolling into your city. They are about to come. The days are dark. Therefore, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It's almost as if our persecuted believers in Pakistan, our persecuted brothers and sisters in China, our persecuted brothers and sisters in Iran, Iraq, North Korea, wherever they may be, are writing us a letter saying, this is our present reality, and it is coming to where you are. In fact, it's already here. We're no longer living in Jerusalem where America is a Christian nation, and the majority of our nation is Christian. It's not. In fact, Jesus said the life of Christ in you will be fought against and warred against by a people who do not follow the ways of Jesus Christ in this world. That's what Paul is saying. And so he's writing to people like you, writing to people like me. So what does he have to say to us who often slumber in the midst of this kind of a world as we get to the end of one year and begin to know? How do we make the most, in other words, of this year that is to come? Well, three things we see here in this passage. The first thing is watch where you're going. Be very careful then how you live. Literally, he means watch where you're going because there's a path, he says, that's wise and there's a path that is unwise. He says, be uh, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of the opportunity. Verse 17 says, do not be foolish but 
understand what the Lord's will is. It says there's two paths that you can go down. One is wise, one is unwise. One is foolish, and the other, he contrasts it with doing the will of God. It says in the midst of a world in which the days are evil, he says, watch where you're going. Several years ago, I was in a foreign country uh, doing missions work with a group of us from here. It's a country that Christianity today, today says is the most dangerous nation in the world to be a Christian, the most difficult nation in the world to live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. As we're in that country, as I was giving my paperwork to the person who was making sure that we were allowed access into that nation, he wouldn't stop staring at me. I, you know, we all knew about the nature of this regime. And as he was processing my paperwork, he looked at me, and the last words he said in his native tongue, in, in, in the language, he said, uh, which means be careful. Be careful. And those words ring in my mind as clearly today as they did back then because I understood that the place I was in those days in that time was not a place where Christianity was hailed and exalted and practiced. In fact, I knew that I was an enemy living in enemy territory. As soon as we got in on the bus that we were riding, an armed guard came in and walked very slowly down each row and looked at each one of us, looked at our belongings, stared at us. For whatever reason, he did that. And I remember the fear of man being struck in my heart. Because I knew that these people, if they knew everything that we were there to do, would act in ways that were extremely hostile to us and to the faith that we were practicing. They gave us very strict orders on what we could and could not bring in and what we could and could not bring out. They did not want any blank journal pages because they didn't want us going in and recording and writing down things that we saw there. Uh, they allowed Bibles to be brought in, a Bible to be brought in, but they made sure that that Bible was taken out. They counted the number of Bibles we brought in and counted the number of Bibles we brought out to make sure that none of this was left in their country. They checked every picture on our cameras to make sure that nothing was going out, that they did not want coming out of their country. I knew from the moment I was there that I was not living in friendly territory. And everywhere I went, whether it be our hotel room, uh, the hospital in which we were serving, the bakery, the schools in which we were going in, everywhere I went, I did everything that I could to be as careful and as wise as I could so as to not jeopardize the mission and the ministry of the people with whom we were serving in that country. Be very careful as you live in this country. That's kind of what Paul is saying to you and to me. Because a lot of times, we don't live with this kind of careful ethic, do we? We don't choose the path of wisdom. Be very careful then how you live. That's how Paul is, to, is telling us to live. But a lot of times, we don't give much care to how we're living. There's a way that's wise. There's a way that's unwise. And a lot of times, man, we're just choosing the path that's unwise. Because can I tell you something, y'all? It's not your desires that shape your destiny at the end of the day, okay? 
It's not, you could set forth from Orlando to try and go to Chicago. Your desire could be that way. But at the end of the day, no matter how much you desire to go to Chicago, no matter how much you, you are, you are, you are uh, disciplining yourself, no matter how much you're determined to go there, at the end of the day, it's your decisions, not your desires, that will determine your destination. And a lot of us have gotten to the end of 2018, and we set out January 1st to say, this is who I'm going to be. I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we look at where we are, and we realize that we're a far cry from where we wanted to be. Not for lack of desire, not because we weren't facing Jesus, but it's because the decisions that you made took you on a completely different path than you wanted to go. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. There's a lot of things that encapsulate the will of God, but one of the things you have to understand, Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, here's kingdom priorities for you. If you're a child of God, okay, if you're not a child of God, you have a completely different set of priorities. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a child of God, then here's your priority. Your priorities are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the food, the clothes, and the stuff of this world will be added unto you as well. But a lot of us as believers, can I tell you, based on what we post on Instagram, based on what we put out on social media, based on the way we spend our time and our money, our fixation, our priority is on food and clothing and the stuff of this world, not on Jesus, his kingdom, and his righteousness. It's not what we say explicitly, it's the way that we live implicitly that really determines who our God is. He says, watch where you're going because before you know it, you could be in a completely different path than where you set out to be. Because it's your decisions, not your desires. Okay, some of us really need to check ourselves and to wake ourselves up. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, should it not be that the word of God and prayer are the, are, are the hallmarks of our lives? But how much time are we spending in the word of God and in prayer? Why is it so easy for us to get a group of people to hang out and so difficult for us to get a group of people to come to prayer meeting or to a Bible study or to a house church? Or when a house church gets together, regular meetings, 10 people. Fun night, 18 people. Why is that? It's because our priorities are all jacked up as children of God sometimes. He says, you've got to watch where you're going. Because before you know it, we can get to the end of 2019 and you're going to be in a place you didn't set out to be when you began the year. Because it's not our desires, guys. We can have all the right desires. At the end of the day, it's the decisions that we make that determine our destiny. And the thing is, none of our lives are isolated in and of ourselves hey, you know what, I'm going to make this decision, but nobody's going to be bothered by it. I'm just going to do this on my own. But we are communal people, right? Everything that you do matters to other people. If you're a spiritual leader, whatever you do matters to the people who follow you. Your choices, your decisions make all the difference in the world. If you're a parent, everything you do filters down because so much more is caught by your children than is taught by your words. If you're, if you're in a community with other people, everything that you do, there's collateral blessing and benefit, but there's also collateral damage. We need to watch where we're going because the default mode of the world in which we live is to take us further from the life of Christ. 
So the second thing that we see here is if you're not fighting, then you're falling. I mean, it's simple. If the stream is flowing down, if you're not fighting to swim upstream, then you're going to be carried downstream. He says, verse 17, 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If the days were not evil, if everyone was a Christian, then the stream would carry you towards Christ. But it's not like that. There used to be a time when almost everybody that you see went to church, but it's not like that anymore. You have to fight for the life of Christ in you. You've got to fight for that. We have a retreat coming up this weekend. And for people who want to serve as helpers or counselors, we have them fill out an application. And one of the questions says, hey, describe your relationship with God. How is it? Is it vibrant? Is it growing? Is it backsliding? Are you, you know, where are you? And one of the choices is, says steady. And so when people check off steady, I always want to ask what they mean by steady. I say, well, I'm not really growing necessarily, but at the same time, I'm not backsliding either. I'm not like falling away, but I'm not like, I'm, it's not like I'm like doing awesome or growing. I said, well, what does that look like? Are you, are you, do you love Jesus? Are you spending time in the word? Are you praying to God? No, I'm not doing that, but, you know, I'm going to church every week. Like I said, I'm just steady. I'm steady. I said, guys, if at a biblical level you want to understand the nature of the spiritual life we're engaged in, there's no such thing as steady. If you're standing still, then you're falling. Because the days are evil. You're not going to drift. Hey, I'm steady. I'm not doing anything to seek more of Christ. I'm just steady. You're not going to love, you're not going to trip into holiness with God. You're not going to trip into falling in love with Jesus. Okay? If you're standing still, it's like, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, my parents used to own um, a gift shop in what was the Arlington Twin Towers, the USA Today buildings, and a bunch of offices, and, and they had a gift shop. And about 5.30, 6.30, when, when the office people would go home from work and we start closing up shop, my brother and I, we were in middle school, we'd go out to the escalators, big old escalators, and then we would go down the escalators. Sometimes, like, we would put our, our feet on the sides and just, like, slide all the way down, and then, the, like, the cleaning people would get all upset. You're making it dirty. But then, so after we uh, decided we shouldn't do that, we would go down the escalator, and then facing the escalator that was coming down, we said, let's see who could run up the escalator the fastest. And then we would run as fast as we could, and, and my brother would always beat me. He would, like, skip stairs and skip, and, and he would always beat me. And, and sometimes I'd be running up trying to catch him, and when I get tired, I need to stop for a break. And what I realize is that if I'm not moving, then I'm falling backwards. And that's the Christian life. If you're not fighting, then you're falling. Some of us have bought into this sense, this lie that says, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm still coming to church. I'm still going to house church. Yeah, maybe I'm not as passionate as I used to. I don't spend as much time as I used to, but I'm still, I'm still, I'm still growing because I'm not, I'm not falling backwards. He says, no, 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 no. You don't understand the days are evil. The time in which we live, if you're not fighting, then you're falling. I'm not saying, 
listen, hey, don't, don't rest, don't relax, don't have fun, don't play on your Nintendo Switch. I'm not saying don't do those things. But what I am, here's what I'm saying. The rhythm, get this, understand this, the rhythm of the Christian life from the very beginning of time. You labor for six days, you rest for one day. Okay? I think a lot of us, we do it the opposite. Right? We chill, we play, we mess around, we do all these things for six days, and then we come in one day, we seek God. That's a backward spirituality. That's not, that's not what Jesus died for us to live in. Rest is only, re- nobody cares about rest if they've been playing all the, uh, you know, you, yeah, you're playing in your playground, running around, all this stuff, and then, oh, mom, I need some water, I need to rest. That's cool, but then you go back to playing. Rest is really rest when you've been fighting in the battles. That's when rest becomes good. You ask people for whom they've been working, they've been working, they've been laboring, they've been fighting six days, how good that one day of rest feels. This ought to be the rhythm of our lives. Yeah, we rest, we relax, but that should not be the dominant theme of our lives. Like we work, we fight, we labor, because if we're not fighting, then we're falling. And you know how this is. You know how this is on a given week. Maybe over the course of a year, oh, you know what, I'm doing okay, I'm doing all right. But you know how it is, the difference between when you spend time seeking God on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, and you're fired up to go into work. You're so excited. Every day changes when you spend time with God, doesn't it? Like, don't you sense a difference in the way that you see things, the way you see people, your ability to be patient with other people, your ability to endure hardship. When you spend time with God, there's a strength, a spiritual strength that comes into your heart, and you're able to endure and able to follow Christ as you seek him during the day. When you don't, everything changes. You've heard this before. Seven days without God, seven days without the word of God in prayer makes one week. Not a week, but makes one week. One not strong, one week. Seven days without prayer, without the word of God, makes one week. And you've seen this. You wake up Sunday, you've got this choice. Am I going to wake up and go to church, or am I going to hit snooze and Watch the football game. And so you hit snooze and watch the football game. And so Sunday, without that community, without the seeking after God, Sunday becomes a sin day in your life. Ah, just, I'll get back into it next week. And then as your week begins that way, when you go into Monday, when we as the children of God should go into Monday saying, I'm ready to live another week as a worshiper, as a witness for the glory of God in my school and in my workplace. Everyone else hates Mondays, but I'm going to lift the culture of my workplace and I'm going to show them what it is to worship God. But when you don't spend time with God, then Monday becomes like everybody else. It becomes a mourn day. And you complain, oh my goodness, Monday, Monday, Monday. I need my coffee. And then Tuesday rolls around. And Tuesday becomes Tears Day instead of a victorious Tuesday. Oh, my gosh, my day is so awful. My week's already gone off to a bad start. And then Wednesday comes around. And Wednesday, you know, oh, I've got prayer meeting tonight. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make it through the day. And then something comes up. And you're like, oh, you know what, forget prayer meeting. And Wednesday to you becomes a waste day. By the time Thursday rolls around, you're so thirsty for God, but you don't even know that you're thirsty for God. And so you're looking for God in all the wrong places. You start giving your heart to things that you ought not to give your heart to. You start uh, doing things that you know are, 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 are compromising in your heart, and Thursday becomes thirst day. And then because you know that your relationship with God is off, your, your fellowship with God is off, your fellowship with others is off, and Friday becomes fight day, and you start fighting with your 
friends and your family and all that stuff. And then Saturday, instead of being our day of preparation, I can't wait to get into worship tomorrow. Saturday becomes a sadder day than all the other ones. And then you repeat that cycle. And what happens when you do that week after week after week after week? Seven days without prayer in the word of God makes you weak. Makes one weak. And that's how some of us have been living this year. Can I ask you honestly when's the last time? Unhindered. Not on your phone where you're distracted by all these things, but with the word of God. Just sat and you listened to the voice of love speak into your heart. When's the last time the desire in your heart registered until it became a decision that you make that, you know what, I'm just going to go by myself and I'm going to seek the face of God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to fall in love with him again. I'm going to come back to that place. Be very careful, he says. Not as unwise, but as wise. We hear the alarm. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Second thing that we see, the last thing that we see, don't wait. Start now. I contemplated, should this be a message as we begin the new year, or should I just do it now? Just start now. Start today. You don't need to wait until Tuesday. Start today. When he says, making the most of every opportunity, making the most of every opportunity, literally that word opportunity means an opportunity that demands action. Saying every day is an opportunity that demands action. You've seen this before. You got emails or you got mailers or you got someone said, oh my gosh, there's this great sale. You get this email that says, act now. Sale ends soon. And you're thinking about getting that thing. Oh, should I get it? Should I not? Should I get it? Should I not? They're like, ah, okay, I'm going to get it. By the time you go to the store to get it, it said, oh, sorry, sale's over. Price went up 200%. Can't get it anymore. You're like, oh, man, I missed out on that opportunity. You've got that that person that you know you need to forgive, apologize to. Person, you need to tell them something that you've, it's the will of God to tell them that thing. And you're waiting for the right time, waiting for the right time. I know they're here, but, ah, oh, it's Christmas. I don't want to put a damper on our Christmas. I know they're here. Ah, oh, I don't want to, yeah. Okay, now's the right time. Uh, and a week before, you make that phone call. Something happens and you're no longer able to tell them the very thing that you know was the will of God to tell them. Don't wait. If, you know, if it's the will of God, if it's the will of God, don't wait. Start now. Here's the thing. So many of us are just waiting for the perfect opportunity. Oh, uh, one of these days I'll get around to doing it, or tomorrow I'll do it, or when I've got more time, or when things calm down a little bit, or when the kids go to college, or when we paid off our loans, or uh, when I finish finals. There's always a reason for us not to do it. And so many of us are waiting for that perfect moment in time. It's like, you know, it's like a, a, a jump rope. We did jump rope in, in Ecuador while we're on missions. School, school, don't be late. Sign your name on a golden gate. Jump in or you know, Cinderella dressed in yellow, come sit. I don't know, whatever. You find fella. And so they jump. 
and these kids are jumping and they're running in and they're doing it and they're loving it and then they get out and they're waiting their, their turn and, and then some of our people, our old 30, 40, 50 year old people are like, oh, we want to jump too, we want to be like these kids and they're waiting and they're waiting and, and you see their head moving like this, moving like this, waiting, waiting for the right time. It's like, when are you going to go? When are you going to go? I got to wait for the right time. I got to wait for the right time. Wait for the right time. And these little Ecuadorian kids are getting sad and they're starting to grow beards because they're waiting so long and celebrating another birthday. And they're like, when are you going to go? That's what a lot of us are doing, man. We're like waiting, waiting, waiting for what we think is a perfect opportunity. And he says, make the most of every opportunity because the time is now. What have you been waiting to do? You know, you know this is the will of God for your life. You know it. I need to start developing a regular rhythm of being with God every day in the word of God and prayer. What are you waiting for? I'm just waiting for January 1st when that new devotional comes out. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just waiting uh, until uh, my friend asks me because uh, my husband, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader. I'm just waiting for him to ask me so that we can do it together because I don't want to grow more than him and he's got to be the head of the, of the house and I don't want to be like more spiritually mature than him. What are, we, what are we waiting for? Some of you have been waiting to take Harvest 201. Some of you waiting to take Harvest 101. Some of you waiting to become a member. Some of you waiting to get baptized. Some of you waiting to join a house church. Some of you waiting to start. What are you waiting for? The time is going to pass you by. There will never be. You're waiting for the perfect opportunity. You're waiting for a bus that ain't ever going to come. Because there will never be a perfect time. The perfect time is now. <laughs> the time is now. You feel God is calling you to do it. I got to go on that first mission trip. I got to get serious about this. I got to get serious about that. You know what? I've always seen these guys working hard to, to clean the church, and, and I, I've always wanted to join, but uh, every time I wanted to do it, I was dressed too nicely, and I didn't want to mess up my clothes. What are we waiting for? If you know it's the will of God, if you know God is calling you to do it, then go, do it. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it now. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There are th there's three kinds of people in this life. That many people have said this before. Some people are accusers. They're constantly saying, the reason, well, the reason I'm not doing it is because of this person or because of that person. There's accusers. There's excusers who always have a reason, always have an excuse. It's because of this, it's because of that, it's because of this, it's because of that. And then there are choosers, right, people who choose. You know why? We all have the same 24 hours a day, 168 hours in a week. Why are some people growing more than other people? Because they've chosen the right things. See, wisdom and foolishness is understanding. Wisdom is, these are my priorities, I'm going to give my time to my priorities. That's simple. Foolishness is, I know my priorities, but I'm going to give my time to things that aren't priorities. That's foolish. What are the things that cultivate your priorities, that cultivate a love for Christ in you? And do those things. What are the things that rob you of the life of Christ in you? What relationship, what habit, what time wasters rob you of the life of Christ in you? Avoid those things. It's really quite simple. Understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says, be very careful how you live. When I, when I was in elementary school, when I was in fifth grade, I, uh, I moved from a, a town called Herndon, which is kind of like a sleepy suburban town, uh, to a town called Reston, which is now kind of thriving and, and, and booming. But when we moved there, uh, it was the narcotics capital of Fairfax County, Virginia, in that time. 
Uh, we lived on the outskirts of that, but my school was right kind of in the middle of that, Dogwood Elementary School. And so uh, I remember going to that new school, and, and that was next-level meanness, next-level bullying. Like, people didn't care. They didn't have a conscience. And so uh, there were times where um, these kids would be mean. They'd, they'd pick on us, and uh, I was scared. There was one kid in particular named Lucio. Okay, Lucio, he was a, uh, he was a Latin kid. I, I don't know what uh, ethnic background or what yeah, where he was from, but um, I was equal parts scared of him, but I also wanted to be like him. I thought he was, like, mad cool. Um, I don't know. It's, it, for whatever reason, when I was in sixth grade, uh, I kind of liked being the bad kid. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, but I could never be as bad as those guys because I was scared. I was scared that they were going to call my parents, and I can't be bad because I'll get, I'll, get, I'll get in big trouble. So... Lucio, though, he was like, he took it to the next level. There was uh, one time, I remember in, in, in PE class in sixth grade, so Mrs. Edie and Mrs. Cockrell, they were giving their instructions and telling us to do something, and everyone was lined up in a line, but Lucio didn't want to do it. And so uh, he had done this kind of stuff before, and I was like, man, he's so cool. Like, he's so, like, uh, so defiant. So, like, man, I want to be like Lucio. <laughs> and then she said, okay, if you don't, I, I forgot what it was. If you don't come over here, by the time I count to three, then I'm going to call your parents. She had never threatened to call his parents before. So this was like, oh, my gosh, like the ante has been raised now. And so I was like, all right, he's going to come after she counts the two. So she's like, one, he didn't move, two, and she paused. I was like, oh, he's going to come into line now, and everything's going to go back to jail. But he didn't. He didn't move. I was like, oh, my gosh, if that was me, like, that's when I'd get in line. Dude, what are you doing? And she said three, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he done did it now counted to three, and she's like, come with me. He just, like, stared at, at Mrs. Edie. I was like, man, this guy's, like, straight-up baller, right? So as he's walking with Mrs. Edie up the stairs, he's, like, strutting. I was like, man, that guy's so cool, right? And as he's walking, he's, like, looking at all of us uh, who are in the gym class, and he's smiling at us. I was like, dang, I want to be just like him. So I didn't want my parents to get called, and then he, he went up the stairs, and I was like, whoa. Dude, he's so cool. Fast forward now some 30 years, and I've got three little kids of my own. And one of these kids, named Elise, is just like Lucio. <laughs> like Manny, I'm sorry, Elise. Elise, stop biting your brother's foot or stop, you know, pulling your sister's hair out or whatever it is. Elise. And she keeps on doing it. Stop ripping apart. Yeah, they have these, like, what are these squishy dolls, and, like, she's always ripping them apart, and, and everyone gets mad. At least stop ripping that squishy doll apart. Stop it. I'm going to count to three. If you don't stop, then we're going to take away your treats, going to take away your dessert, take away your dinner, take away everything. We're going to take you to time out, and we're going to send you to the police. You're going to go to jail. One, two. Sometimes at two, she'll get upset. She'll all right, why are you counting so fast? And she'll get upset, and she'll come. One, two, but then there are times where we count to three, and she's just like stone cold staring at us like Lucio looked at Miss Edie. I'm like, what is wrong with her? Three, and she's just like smiling. She's like messing around or something. So we take away all of her things, and she doesn't get to eat dinner, and she goes right to bed. And I thought about why is it that she's like that, and all is like she's stubborn. And is it, yeah, she's stubborn. She's proud. She's got, all, you know, all of these things. But at the end of the day, I realize when I think about Lucio and I think about Elise and I think about me, 
and the way that I am. I can be stubborn too. I can be prideful too. I know the things I need to do, but a lot of times I don't want to do them. Why is it? Do you ever feel like that? Like you, okay, you come out of a Sunday worship, you hear something, you're like, you know what, I got to do this. Advent conspiracy, I got to spend less. That ain't just a Christmas thing. That's like a year-round thing, but you try to ignore that voice. I don't like, I don't like that voice, God. Bring me another voice. And that voice says the same thing. You got to spend less. You got to give more. Oh, man, you know what you got to do, but you don't want to do it. Oh, I got to start giving my tithe to the place where I'm being fed spiritually. No, I don't want to do that. Maybe I didn't really hear God say that. Oh, you know what? I got to go and I got to apologize. I got to confront somebody about the sin that they're living in. And you've got all these things that you know you got to do. But for whatever reason, we're stubborn, we're defiant, and we're proud. Why? Well, because I learned something recently. I learned that Delayed obedience always makes obedience harder. I know I've got to break up with that guy. I know I've got to break up with that girl. I know I've got to start this with my friends. I know I've got to start this meeting at school. I know I've got to start coming to this. I know I've got to stop coming to that. And you know that. Yep. Yep, I know that girl, she doesn't love Jesus. I'm in a relationship with, I need to break up with her. This group of friends that I'm running with, I shouldn't run with them anymore. I should stop. You feel this conviction at some point in your life. But the longer you ignore that voice, the harder of hearing your heart becomes. Delayed obedience always makes obedience harder. That's why he says, hey, start now. Don't wait. Okay, don't wait. Start now. What has God been saying? What, what, what has God been speaking to you all of 2018 about? Maybe all of 2017 about. And, and sometimes if you're like me, you don't want to listen to what the preacher is saying because you know that it's pressing up against something that you know you need to change. Just don't wait. Start now. You got to start now. Because when you obey God, there's collateral blessing for the people around you. When you walk from the path of God, you hurt the people around you also. This was Jonah in the boat, right? As he's running away from God, these people are like, whose sin is it? What's going on? And Jonah's like, it's because I'm running from God that all of you are experiencing this pain. It's not just I'm only hurting me when I disobey God. Because every one of us is connected and tied to other people. What's the will of God for you today? What do you need to do? What do you need to change? Where do you need to move forward? What do you need to start? What do you need to stop? Where do you need to go? Where do you need to, where do you need to move? God's saying, don't wait. Start now. Because as we end this year, here's the grace of God. The grace of God is that there is immense, immense room in the heart of God, for people who have failed, for people who have been unwise, people who have been foolish, people who have messed up, because God foreknew and foresaw every sin, every failure, every falling, every backsliding, every compromise, every choice, every decision to walk away from every time you ignored his heart, every time you dulled your ears to the voice of God. He knew all of that, and yet he still chose you. There's hope and there's grace and there's freedom for you today that you don't need to carry the baggage of 2018 into 2019. Not because you make this great decision, 
but because God has first made this decision to love you and to call you and to choose you and to draw you unto himself. The hope that we have doesn't lie in the fact that my calendar is changing. It lies in the fact that our God of grace never changes and that his mercies for you are new every single day. You don't need to wait until New Year's Day to do this because today his grace was new. Tomorrow when you wake up, his grace will be new. And in the the darkest times in human history, darker than the Roman Empire, darker than today, darker than any of the darkness was that one sad, dark day 2,000 years ago when darkness fell over the earth and the Son of God was crucified for us. All of your failures of 2018, all of your sin, all of your willful indifference to God, all of that was nailed to Jesus at the cross so that in rising again, he rose again with your new hope in hand so that you don't need to live this way again. That when you get to the end of 2019, that you could have a different story to tell, not a story of wasted years, not a story of tears day or of a sadder day, but of a better day. As you get to the end of 2019, you look back at the journey you've been on and you see marks and evidence of the grace of God so real in your life. So I did not snooze my way through this year. I gave everything that I have. There's nothing that's stopping you and me from experiencing all of that today, tomorrow, and for this year to come. My hope, my prayer is that 2019 we'd make the most of it. It'd be a year of unprecedented growth, of higher heights, of deeper depths, of greater understanding of the gospel that we might live joyfully and freely for the glory of God. Let's pray. Brothers and sisters, it is your decisions, not just your desires, It's going to determine your destiny and your destination. It's what you choose to do, not just what you want to do, not just what you determine to do, not what you think you're going to do. We all start out the year saying, I want to be a better me next year. But what carries us from a place of wishful thinking to transformation are the choices and the decisions that we make. I wish that I could do this for you, but I can't. But what I can do is I can make a choice for myself to choose how I'm going to live. I know you want to make those choices for your kids, for your house church members, for your youth students, because you want so much for them. I do too. But I can only choose my path and ask that my life encourages others in order to follow Christ as well. So can you take responsibility for what you're responsible for. You are as close and as intimate with God as you want to be. You are as intimate with God as you choose to be. You can grow as much as you want to grow, as you choose to grow. Let's fall on the rock for the wasted days and let's find hope and grace in his presence today. Can we do that? Let's pray. Let's start now. Delayed obedience always makes obedience harder, but let's do it now. Let's go for it. Say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. Let that be my priority again, Jesus, to know you, the desire of my heart. Let's pray for a couple moments like that. This is where change happens as we repent. Change happens. Repentance is what takes us from where I am now to where God wants me to be. Surrender our sin, our old life. 
Turn to Jesus. Lean on him for the strength to change. Ask for the spirit to lead you. Let's do that for a minute or so. Let's pray. Lord, I need you. heaven, we need your grace. Lord, the hearts of men, hearts of women, hearts of boy, hearts of girls, not changed through external pressure, through fear of punishment or the hope of reward. We have to be changed from the heart. I can't do that. I want to do that, but I can't. Lord, you alone can do that through your Holy Spirit. I don't want my friends here to waste their lives, to waste this year, or to go through life thinking that they're okay when there's so much more that you have for them. Worst of all, to think that they're children of God going to heaven if there's no evidence of that in their lives. Lord, awaken us to the power of your Holy Spirit. Show us that we need you so desperately. Show me that I need you so desperately. Change us that our lives would reflect you more and more. We need you. May knowing you be our greatest aim in life. May making you known be our greatest enterprise. Would you be glorified? in and through us for your glory, our joy, and for the hope of nations. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.